listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. My name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today we are talking about emotions. Emotions being a complicated discussion, um, at the very least. But I hope to bring in a little bit more of a self-awareness point to what emotions can be. And then also, as far as that vector goes, bring in also the avenues for how emotions are a good representation of the mental health situation we might find ourselves in, even on just a daily basis. It's quite often, I think, people don't realize that the daily routine has a a large effect on maybe how we're experiencing the things around us. So already on this podcast, uh, the first couple episodes, I talked about education, we talked about belief, we talked about languages, we talked about relationships. And I think those are culminating into a good, a good representation of where we can look to then also check our emotions. It's, it's kind of like the whole checks and balances idea. If we don't come from a rational viewpoint, sometimes our emotions can go wild. And this gets into a little bit more of where I I expect to go in the future with episodes is somewhere beyond just the normal, oh, self-awareness, depression, mental health, but a deeper dive into the individual and specifically who you are as an individual and how you can use some tools to experience maybe different perspectives And one of those is simply our emotions as a whole. The human system is complex. Emotions are complex. The way we learn them is inherent to our nature versus nurture conversation. It is almost to the degree that I consider depression. Depression, as I've said before, I consider something that's so uniquely who you are that it's completely impossible to understand from an outside perspective. I can never understand your depression. You can't understand mine, nor can we understand someone else's. Certainly I've said before, there can be empathy. There can be sympathy. There can be these other outside vectors to understand, but there is no true understanding. It's like a fingerprint. You can never quite understand what someone else is feeling in those ways. The same can go for emotions, yet we all have them. So like depression in that respect, it's a commonality that, yes, we all have emotional states and we all feel emotions. There are plenty of people out there that are far wiser and far more intelligent than I am and have far more degrees and or doctorates that could tell you you all about the emotional states and how they work. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I want to talk about emotions in the respect of being aware thereof, to be aware of one's emotional state. What emotional states 
are you familiar with feeling and what emotional states either are normal to you or are foreign to you? It is very foreign to me to have a jubilation experience or a, a, a feeling of emotional, like complete happiness and, and just a static nature. I'm not that type of person. I'm more melancholy, more mellow, more, you know, low key. I don't go through huge emotional swings. It's not who I am as a person. And that's not to say I've never had that. I used to have a huge anger issue. Anger was an emotion I was very, very, very good at expressing. And I did it very often. A lot of that anger came from confusion, but I didn't learn that till much later. And this is where I think the complexity of emotions can really give us an understanding of maybe things we don't quite understand that we experienced or to at least give us some sort of enlightenment towards that avenue of emotional state that maybe, and by enlightenment, remember, I remember, I, I say enlightenment is the seeking of death. That is true enlightenment. If you, if you really look at the basis for what the statement of being an enlightened individual is, or to be enlightened, the reality of that is it's to, to die, to, to have some sort of death does not need to be a physical death can be, let's call it an emotional death. You can seek the enlightenment thereof from emotions. You can seek to have an emotional death. In this case, I look back and I look at how my confusion of my situation as a child led to a great degree of anger. My, my way of projecting my confusion was through anger. That was the emotion I used to express it. I didn't just use confusion. I didn't just go, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Someone please help me. Someone please tell me I'm confused. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. That's not how it presented itself. It presented itself in little mini tantrums of my own and just outbursts of, of physical violence, either towards myself or an inanimate object. Uh, and in my family's case, it was often expressed in, yelling matches. That's, you know, we didn't quite often get physical with each other because by the time, by the time I was grown enough to start having the anger response that I was having, um, I had, I had gotten quite big. Um, I, I'm not, you know, a giant person, but in respect to my family, I was much larger, much stronger by the time I was in my teens than those that I was going to be combating with. So it stayed at a more, um, it stayed at a, a more a verbal level because people knew if they got physical with me, it wasn't going to go well. And I, I projected that air of, Hey, if you touch me, I'm going to touch you back and no one's going to like what happens. So that didn't happen. But a lot of the time there was like face to face, scream the top of your lungs yelling. And it was from this point of anger that really was seated in an idea of confusion, an idea of, hey, I know I'm being lied to. I know I'm being manipulated. I know something isn't correct. I'm confused about it. I don't know what's happening, so I'm pissed. And the only way I know how to, to, to represent this is through anger, and that, that anger got represented through yelling and, and hitting things and hitting myself. So... If I were to look at 
the enlightenment therefrom, it was when I realized, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't need to yell. Okay. That was the first thing right off the bat. I was like, you know what? I don't need to yell. It doesn't need to be yelling. I don't like yelling. I've told everyone before, I, I'm not a big fan of loud noises, so I don't like yelling. Well, if I don't, if I don't need to yell, then what is my, what is my representation of emotion? I was using yelling as my representation of anger. Okay. Well, am I still angry if I'm not yelling? I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to answer that question at this time. Back then, it was it was this realization that kind of sprung a change in my emotional states. I went from having a kind of a, a dualistic emotional state, which is home life either was yelling and anger or meekness and this depressive state that was sadness and loneliness and, and quiet. So they really were, there was just a, a duality of loud or quiet and quiet was a introspective, deep, dark void that spiraled into my depression most often than not. And the loud was yelling, anger, boisterousness, ego, stupidity, like it just lies. That was like a, a different level of things. And that expressed itself also in my social life. At school, I was very quiet unless I wasn't being, and then I was very loud. There was no, there was no in between. There was either hear me or don't see me, don't pay attention to me, don't hear me at all. Like I either didn't exist or I fucking existed and you couldn't not be aware of my existence. And that it was, it was this commonality between both worlds, the social side, the anger wasn't so much there. I, I, in my social world at school, at least, and then, and also continuing into my teenage years into, you know, my first couple jobs, my representation of myself socially was this darkness was this emotional state of melancholy and uh, a depressive state that emotionally showed as just a little bit of sadness, um, some mostly sadness, to be honest, sadness or just a depressive state. Whereas the home life that started to represent itself more as like, leave me the fuck alone. Just anger, just like instant aggression. And there was this, this weird duality between the two. Well, when I started to eliminate the pieces of how it was being represented, I was left with questions. If I'm not yelling, am I angry? If I'm not crying, am I sad? I didn't know. No one had taught me what these emotional states represented. And again, at this point in time, I had created, you know, from our last discussion, a, a set of voices in my head that were representative of 
what I expected a family unit and or uh, a social interaction with others to sound like. There was the older brother voice. There was the dad voice. There was the mom voice, the aunt, the uncle voice, all these different voices that I'd kind of created, not as like a, a multiple personality situation, but like almost peak entertainment representation. Like what is the great uncle? What would the great uncle in that book or that movie say? Like what would, what profound information would they give us? And it was not realistic, but there was some positive feedback from it. So the positive feedback I was getting from these questions that I was having is like, what, what is an emotional state? What is a real emotion? I clearly did not know what love is, nor did I ever feel like loved in general, but I knew like the easy ones, like happiness. Oh, I knew when I was happy. I knew that. I knew, I definitely knew when I was sad, definitely knew what sad felt like. I had a good grasp of what anger felt like, but anger didn't make any sense anymore. Cause I was like, why, why am I angry? What's causing me to be angry? And this is where my emotional, for lack of a better term, intelligence kind of started to take root. And th through this, I started asking myself very, what I find now to be deeper questions, a much more deeper set of questions to realize what were these emotional states I was using? Why was I using them? Now, mind you, I always, I don't like the word why I don't like that as a question, but this is what I was asking myself back then. Why was I feeling angry? Why was I, you know, doing all these things? And to be honest, because the frame of the questions wasn't very good, be it a why question, I wasn't gaining much ground in the, in the answering these, I was coming to the conclusion that I was frustrated and my frustration was due to a feeling of being set aside, not being paid attention to my loneliness. And, and then also this, this nagging idea that I was being lied to and manipulated, not only just at a, a level of my, uh, family unit, but also in like my schooling. I, I, I don't, I, there was always just this, it wasn't a lack of respect for authority. It was a, a questioning thereof. I was, mm, should I, you know, why do I have to listen to you? What, what, what's, what makes you an authority figure over me? I was curious about these things constantly. And that's where I started to realize my emotional states were more of a reflection of what I didn't know more so than what I did know. I didn't know what made me happy. I didn't know necessarily what made me sad. I had, I had some pretty good ideas. I just knew that I could flip in and out of these states and have these emotional responses. But a lot of it was due to things that I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know why or what or how Things were making me have emotional reactions. I just knew I was having them. And I think emotions can be very confusing, not only just for a child or an adolescent, but also into our, you know, our later years. There is a lot that goes on in our bodies we're not really aware of. And this is where, not to get in a full deep dive of like how hormones and all these other things happen, 
but I will have to discuss it a little bit to give a, a broader understanding. But before that, just that, that lack of understanding that has a huge effect on our emotional states. And then if we look, you know, at the previous conversations about belief and education, you know, relationships, languages, and the, you know, the things we surround ourselves with and are surrounded with and the things we do believe and don't believe, there's an interweaving of emotional representation in all of these things from the euphoric ideas of, you know, blissful ignorance to the sad worldviews that we might find ourselves in today. There is this emotional world that kind of has a bit of control on how we see things, how, how things are being represented. And if we're not aware of it, we can't really, we can't necessarily, uh, we can't, we can't really find a better option. You know, if we're not aware of the emotional states that are maybe leading us one way or seeing, we're making us see something in a different way. We can't understand that there is a, there's a better option out there. There's, there are other options out there. If you start your day off by stubbing your toe and you're just pissed off or, you know, a bill came in, you didn't know about, or you got caught off and cut off in traffic you're not aware that you've gone into this anger of an emotional state, then there's no way to get out of it. And it is going to leak into the other things. This is where, you know, I was talking about with language and how, you know, what language are you sur surrounded by? Well, take that a, a step farther. And what are these languages or the language thereof that you were you're surrounded by doing to your emotional state. If you're getting hype, listening to some, you know, just, you know, whatever music hypes you up, that's causing an emotional state that then it's going to leak into other things you're doing. It's, it's, there's no way around it. You have to, you have to, you know, be aware of the emotion before you can change it. So if you're not aware of the emotional states you're in, it's going to have a profound effect on everything around you. So emotions are almost secondary in the conversation, but really primarily driving us where we're going. And if we don't pay attention to them, they can certainly get the better of us. I've seen multiple occasions, uh, specifically as a bouncer and just, you know, other social interaction events, but mostly as a bouncer where someone's emotional state will cause a chain reaction. That's uncontrollable. It is chaos. It is not a controllable force. It's going to do weird things and it's going to happen in weird ways, but it's happening. And the only way to deal with the situation at the very best possible outcome is to remove yourself from it. A lot of younger bouncers that I've experienced or not even by like young by age, but just less experienced bouncers typically want to jump into the action. 
find in most situations, it's better to take a step back. And that's what I suggest with emotions is to take a step back as a bouncer. When I would take a step back and watch the outcome or watch the situation, I could usually find the vector or Avenue to take to control the situation or to just mitigate it completely. If you take a step back and figure out, okay, why is so-and-so yelling at the other so-and-so? It can become very clear that neither one of them have any control over the situation and it's being instigated maybe by a third party. And if you eliminate said third party, you can usually stop the yelling. If you just remove the person instigating the situation and then go, Hey, why are you yelling at each other? And they realize, Oh shit. Why were we yelling at each other? It's a very simplified example, but that happens quite often. I've watched dudes fight over chicks multiple times. And what they don't realize is we've removed the girl from the situation. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, we're just two fucking idiots fighting over some chick. That's not here anymore. Happens constantly in bars. A lot of bar fights start that way. It's just two idiots, female or male. I don't care which one you choose fighting over some stupid idea or topic or person or whatever, a drink, a a spilled drink, whatever it is. Once you eliminate that, fuel to the fire. Essentially, if they can't use the example to continue, it won't spread. I'm not saying those two people won't fucking go at it. Cause I've seen that they'll just, you know, they're in the moment they're heated. They're angry. They probably have some other shit going on at home, which is another step back moment for a bouncer realizing that these people are out drinking for a reason. They're trying to get drunk. They're usually running away from some other situation they can't control. So they're, they're drinking to get away from it. So that's going to fuel the fire no matter what. But if you take the the piece that started the situation out of it, then it's just two idiots fighting in a bar and everyone else is just laughing at them. And then it doesn't spread. And that's kind of my example for how emotional fires can spread very easily if you don't control them. In the restaurant industry, if someone comes in fucking heated for the day, if they're just mad as shit about their home life, it spreads very rapidly throughout a kitchen because tension's already high. You're trying to keep up with the orders. It's hot as fuck. You know, there's some asshole head chef yelling or manager or, you know, some person fucked up an order and now everybody's getting screamed at. Some person in the dining room decided that they were having a bad day. So their meal sucks and they want someone to fucking hang for it. It's just, there's, there's tension everywhere. And as soon as those tension points get pulled on a little too far, a little too hard fire, the fire spreads. And all it takes is one person walking in with a bad attitude and boom, light the fire. When I was managing in a kitchen, uh, the head chef I was working with taught me something very important about management that I, I follow to this day, although I don't do much management anymore. A lot of management is just putting out the fires before they spread. You can't prevent the fire from starting. That's near impossible. You can do your best, 
But if it's going to start, it's going to start. The best thing to do is just be quick to put it out so it doesn't spread farther. You just, you just put it out so it doesn't spread farther. If the chicky nuggies you sent out to table five were undercooked and the waiter comes back and says, hey, these were undercooked, they're pissed, the answer is not to fucking argue. The chef, hearing this, their first reaction typically, or the person that's putting out the fire, the person that knows better, is going to put more chicken nuggets in a basket. And they're going to drop that basket in the fryer and they're going to start the process because no matter what you have to replace that order. You have to make it right. Somehow you have to cook another order unless the person walked out the fucking door. They're still sitting at the table. Some part of them is expecting you to return with a fix. And that fix is to recook the order. That takes time. And the less time you waste, less mad that person is going to be in the end. So instead of arguing about the situation, which is usually what happens first, because the wait staff came in and they were pissed because you fucked up their tip because you fucked up the order because you didn't cook the chicken nuggets long enough. You're going to be like, well, fuck you. And it's just this argument that happens every freaking time. Instead, the person that's putting out the fires, the manager, the chef, whoever it is, is just going to put more chicken nuggies in the basket and put the basket in the fryer or whatever the order happens to be. They're just going to start the order over again. That's, that's the answer. And the way you get to that is eliminating the emotional response. Just absolutely just take it right out of the window. Nope. There's no emotional response happening here, which takes me to another part of management that I learned from this particular individual is you can't get angry. Not allowed, if you're a manager, you're not allowed to get angry. You are no longer allowed to be the angry one. If you get angry, you lost, you lose that. You lose control of the situation. You've lost control of yourself. And these examples I'm using are kind of relevant to our everyday lives as well. We're managers of ourselves. You have to manage your time. You have to manage your attitude. You have to manage your schedule. You have to manage a lot of things as an individual, which means it does not behoove you to get angry. And I learned this back when I I realized my anger wasn't fixing anything. It wasn't fixing anything at all. It was just causing more problems. I broke something that I had to replace. I hurt myself so that I had to like deal with that injury. I used to sit there and I used to punch myself in the shoulder because I wanted to feel that pain, but it didn't leave a mark that anyone would see because people started becoming around the time that I was doing a lot of physical harm to myself doing, you know, those types of things, people were becoming aware of like little things to look for. So I would hide it easier. It just, you know, a shirt covered a lot. Just punch myself in the shoulder, punch myself in the thigh. Um, I was into cutting a little bit, but like places that I could hide. So there was definitely this like, uh, okay. Anger's not the answer but I didn't know what the answer was. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And I, I've talked to other individuals that I find a similar, a similar idea from that the representation of the emotion might not be what's causing of it. The emotion is just a representation of everything combined. It's, it's almost like that's the meal that's served. 
all of the ingredients went into the recipe and what came out was the emotion. It's the final product. Well, if we continue to look at this from maybe more of a, a professional aspect, a business aspect, maybe if the final product sucks, the consumer does not want it. So if you are generally trying to get your point across using a product, no one likes is not going to help. And this is where my intelligence of other people really started to shine through. I unfortunately was a very manipulative person. It was very easy for me to manipulate people. People trusted me. I didn't, I wasn't trying to do anyone harm. I wasn't trying to use my manipulation for them to give me money. You know, I was just take advantage of a situation here or there by being a little bit manipulative about it because people trusted that I was responsible. Just something I did. I found that people liked others who were responsible. I could make someone like me by being responsible, doing what they asked me to do, you know, or doing things that they didn't expect me to do, but I did them anyway. Like I generally wanted people to like me. That was one of my things. So the emotional response to that, the emotional response I could use could help me in how that worked. My emotional product that I was presenting to others could help me get them to like me. So I started to learn that like emotions were these acts of things. They were, again, they were the final product you could put together an emotion and use it specifically use it for some sort of acute reaction from the other person. You know, if you, well, it's not even you, like if a, if a child runs up to you crying, most people's reaction is like, Oh shit, crying child, what's going on? Well, that's an acute reaction to someone else's emotion. So beyond just emotions for us as a self-awareness piece, there's also the emotions of the world around us. And this is a big thing because there's a lot that goes into the emotional reactions people can have that we may never be aware of. Again, I said I wasn't going to get into this in full detail, but I'm going to get into a little bit of the things that go into our emotional states that we might not even be thinking of. Workplaces. Those are common ground areas for all sorts of things to kind of boil together. And like I said, if someone comes in with a shitty attitude in the kitchen, that could become a huge bonfire real quick and everybody could jump on that bandwagon. Vice versa, if you're working in an office and there's always just like that very like down person, which is what I used to be, people tend to avoid that person or it also might like bring the office down a little bit. Or if the management staff is always like super pissed off and super angry, well, that's a shitty environment to work in. So other people are going to be angry and it, there are other emotions happening around us. Okay. That's a small worldview. Let's go a little bigger. There's a little thing called the tide controlled by the moon. Well, I'm here to tell you that that whole full moon thing. Oh man, it must be a full moon. It's not necessarily not scientific. I'm not saying there's full scientific evidence behind it, but I can give you a shit ton of anecdotal evidence that says like, yeah, the full moon things is a, that's a thing. Well, here's a little bit why your body is a majority thereof made up of fluids, water. 
Well, the moon, due to its ebb and pull on the gravitational situation of the Earth, which controls the tides, also has some sort of effect on your body in the same sense. And there can be, during a full moon, a little bit of swelling inside the body, you know, a little bit extra pull on that fluid. Well, if we look at inflammation as just a situation, inflammation, which is what would swelling would be, inflammation in the body causes all sorts of weird shit to happen. Specifically, in my eyes, my viewpoint now, I'm not a medical doctor, I cannot diagnose or prescribe, but there's a lot of research out there to show how inflammation is the root cause of most chronic ailment. That inflammation that was not treated or could not be treated can cause chronic issues, specifically like autoimmune diseases, such as like Crohn's disease or you know, arthritis as a general idea, this is inflammation that became stagnant, that became disease. If we can treat the inflammation, we can treat some of, you know, the disease itself. This has been shown in research that's being done with PTSD and how inflammation can help with that situation. And PTSD, due to anxiety and all the other things that go along with it, a mental illness state, uh, you know, I talk about mental health. This is a mental illness. So yes, there's a negative connotation to it because illnesses are negative. They are not homeostasis. They are not neutral ground. The mental illness thereof will cause inflammation in the brain. You know, this reactive state, it can be minute, but if you get yourself into an agitated, excited state, you're going to cause a swelling of the brain. You're going to increase, one, your heartbeat. That's the first thing that happens, specifically in an adrenal uh, gland release. Uh, if neuroepinephrine starts running through the body, our heart rate's going to quicken. That's going to increase our, our blood flow, which increases, increases our, um, wow, blanking on that one. Increase in blood flow increases blood pressure. There we go. So as our blood pressure increases, pressure increases, then fluid retention increases, swelling happens. That same thing to a small degree happens when there's a full moon. So people are already primed for things that might happen during an inflammation state. Inflammation in the body, not very comfortable. Most people dealing with chronic pain can tell you when your knees swollen all the time or your shoulders swollen all the time, or you're, you know, when there's all this swelling all the time, there's constant pain. And if someone's in constant pain, they are primed to be pissed off because no one wants to be in pain like that constantly. Not to that degree. I can tell you there's a massive difference between constant ailment pain, like think about tooth pain, and someone controlled pain, using controlled pain against themselves. So you might say like, oh, Phil, you know, what about, you know, you used to say like you caused yourself pain. That was me controlling the pain that I was causing and then using a mental state afterwards to be like, yeah, you fucking deserve that. So yeah, you should suffer through it. There's a bigger difference between that. There's a massive difference between that and non-controlled pain. There is, in my eyes, at least in, and again, I can't understand your depression. You can't understand mine, but I'm going to try to give you some pieces maybe to think about 
There's a big difference in a depressive state of control and not control. No control may cause a depressive state in, in my world, but the control thereof is what allows me to do something with it. I could use the control of causing a, a state of pain against the uncontrol of the world I was living in. I couldn't control my environment, but I could control the pain I was feeling. There was a, there was a, a differentiation of control there. And that can be said about emotions as well. So yes, full moons. Yeah. Might, might prime people to have, I'm just saying it might prime people to have an emotional reaction. So that's something to be aware of. Let's take it. Let's go. Let's go one step bigger than that. What's bigger than the moon. We got other planets, right? Well, if the moon has a gravitational effect on the earth, so do all the other planets. And for those of you who don't know, we are in a heliocentric orbit behind the earth, uh, behind the sun, which means we don't, we don't rotate around the sun. You know, we're, it's not a, a circle around the sun. It's heliocentric, which means we're in a spiral pattern behind the sun and the sun is hurtling through space at a, at a really fast pace. So fast that if it stopped, we'd, we'd pass it almost instantaneously. We would just, if the, earth, if the sun just decided to stop, even its gravitational pull could not stop us from flying past it. We would just shoot right past it. We're, the sun is traveling faster through space than our earth is actually rotating. So to give you a better example, the earth's rotation around its axis, if that were to stop, someone on the east coast of the United States of America would travel to the west coast uh, I might have the rotation wrong, but it doesn't matter. You would the the distance traveled would be about three seconds to go coast to coast, and you wouldn't even notice it was happening. The crust would shear off the Earth, so the building you were in would relatively move, or the place you were at would relatively move with whatever giant chunk got sheared off. So fast you would travel the distance between coast to coast, three thousand or so miles, in about three seconds and I'm just using rough numbers here, but that's about how fast we're rotating around the axis. Then think about that is like a magnitude slower than how fast we're actually moving through space. Cause the sun is pulling us through space behind it in this heliocentric orbit. Why does all that matter? Well, this is gravitational metrics. This is the gravitational pulls. So if we know the, moon can have a gravitational pull on water here on the planet, which we're made up of mostly water and it can have maybe a possibility of a pull on our emotional states. So too could all of the other planets in orbit. So too could the other astrological bodies such as the sun have an effect. We call this astrology. And it's something I plan on getting into much deeper in the future. At this point in time, I just want to bring it up as a good place to maybe look when you don't quite understand the emotional state you're having. Why your day just isn't going the way you want it to. It might be. As a theory here, just throwing it out there, it could be that the astrological bodies that you have no fucking clue about at this point in time, where they're at, 
in relative space and time, blah, 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 are just, are just tugging on that water inside you just a little too much, just making it a little bit too swollen up. Or the person that's about to like cut you off in traffic or get angry or having a shitty day could be affecting them too. Then on top of all of that, there's background radiation. We live in radiation, electromagnetic, solar, those sunshine rays that we soak up to create vitamin D, that's radiation. And there's another thing we can get into, the topic of supplementation and and vitamin and what's your blood content of these things. There's so many different things that can go into how you're feeling. So if you take the macro again, right, as above, so below. If there's a lot of fuckery going on in the in the grand scheme of the solar situation and the in the in the solar system, these astrological bodies and the orbits and the rotations and all this other crap, well, the same's going on inside you on the micro. And they affect each other to some degree. So the point here is you you may not have control. And what does the human system typically do when we don't have control over something? We rebel against it. We're not fans of not being in control. Yes, I'm aware. Some people out there like to give up control. Just don't want to deal with it. And that's fine. But the reality is the human system wants to be in control. We don't like your body does not like when you cut it. Here to tell you that even though you, your mind, your consciousness, your mentality controlling the situation as I have done as a cutter to cut myself, to feel the pain as a representation of my hatred towards myself or some sort of punishment I decided to give myself or a bunch of other things we can go into at another time. No matter if I thought, yes, let's do this. My body did not like it. My body bled. Then it first it bled because it needs to push out any toxin that might be coming in through that wound. We've opened the system. This is a sealed system. We've now opened it. So it needs to protect itself. First thing, bleed, push out any bad that might be trying to come in. That's what the blood flow outward does. The pressurized system, push pressure out. Second, swell, close the wound. That's what swelling does. It closes the wound. Third, attack whatever might have gotten in. Send a histamine response, which is part of the swelling, to attack whatever foreign invader might have gotten in through this new opening. Four, start the healing process. Seal the wound, stop the bleeding now, start the healing process, close the, close the, close the hole, close the, close the leak. This is, a, this is a sealed system. There should not be a leak here. There should be no hole. There should be no, you know, vector for bad things to get in. Your body, no matter what you think, does not like to be cut. It doesn't like it. It doesn't like to be hit. It doesn't, it, in essence, doesn't even like to move all that much, but requires it to sustain itself. You're constantly in motion. Your muscles are constantly twitching and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't necessarily like physical adversion all that much. It, it doesn't like to, you know, doesn't necessarily like to run. 
It's good at it, but it doesn't necessarily like it. It likes to be in motion. It likes light exercise. That's really what your body likes. It likes the, oh, okay, cool. I have some things over here I can use for fuel. Let's burn that. And then let's, uh, let's, you know, let's walk a little bit. So your body's looking for that homeostasis. It's looking for that neutral, balanced area. Your emotions are sort of kind of doing the same thing, but this gets into other neurological responses throughout the body of fight or flight, you know, the autonomous nervous system versus the other parts. You have, a, you have not to get into all of it, but you have just the autonomous nervous system. Let's look at that. The autonomous nervous system is like subconscious. Like you can think of it as like the activity your body goes through that you're not consciously trying to control. You know, this is big in meditation. So the autonomous nervous system breaks down into two branches. And specifically those, those branches are the rest digest or the fight or flight. That's, that's the major breakdown in the nervous system is fight or flight, rest digest. These are known as the parasympathetic and sympathetic. So autonomous nervous system breaks down into parasympathetic or sympathetic. Now, this is one of the tough parts to learn when you learn about the nervous system. Sympathetic, not so good. If you had to like give it a, give it a, like a representation, sympathetic is fight or flight. It's a, it's, it's non homeostasis. Sympathetic is to, you're having a sympathetic response. You're having a, a response to an outside situation or a situation inside the body that needs to be responded to. That's a sympathetic response. Parasympathetic next to para parallel is the rest digest. That's, that's you chilling. That's just you relaxing, digesting, healing. That's parasympathetic. So parasympathetic is more closer to homeostasis than sympathetic. What is this all about? Well, if we have this autonomous nervous system, system we can't control really, unless we, we have an interaction with it it's known as our breathing. That's how we interact with the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. But we have the autonomous nervous system, parasympathetic, sympathetic, rest digest, or fight or flight. Those are trained responses for survival. It's what they are there for. You don't really have control over it, but the body does. That's what I'm getting at is where I said, like the body doesn't like being cut. Well, it has this whole part of the nervous system to deal with these outside influences. So even though your mental state or your mental, you know, health is one way, your body is trained to respond certain ways. And oftentimes we go against it and we do this through our coping mechanisms and other different ways in just general modern society that we fight against this parasympathetic and sympathetic system. One of the ways we can interact with it is with breathing, which is also a great way. I am going somewhere with this. It's a great way to be a little bit more in control of your emotions. So emotional states as a whole, as I've kind of given some examples for, may be outside of your control, but the human system wants to be in control. That's why we have the autonomous nervous system. It's why it exists. It's how we stay alive. 
It's the controls, you breathing and you beating your heart. When was the last time you sat there and were like, okay, beat, 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 beat. You don't have to sit there and tell your heart to beat. If you did, you would just have no time for anything else. You have maybe on occasion been like, oh, okay, I'm breathing. I'm taking control of my breathing. So there are ways to interact with it, but it does exist that like when you're not paying attention, when you're just driving around in traffic, you're still breathing. You're still staying alive. Your body's designed to do that. That's what the autonomous nervous system does. Keeps you alive by controlling systems. You don't necessarily even want the conscious control thereof. It's subconsciously controlled. It's, it's on its own, it's on its own system taking care of itself. That's where intrinsically the body, the human system really wants to be in control. It doesn't want you having control of these things. So in the same sense, emotions are a little bit of that control system that you're not really aware of. So there's all of macro and micro. The universe acting upon us, us acting upon ourselves. And the emotional states we get ourselves into are really, again, the end product. It's the representation of. So if we're not being aware of the emotions that we're using or feeling or having interactions with, what control do we have? How are we actually using emotions? What are your go-to emotions? I've met people who are super happy all the time. That's their just like general emotion is happy. I've met people who are super angry all the time. That's just their go-to emotion. What is your go-to emotion? What emotional state do you find yourself in? Is it melancholy? Is it happiness? Is it jubilation? Is it hysteria? Is it, you know, what is it anger? Is it sadness? What is your common neutral emotional state? What's your balance? My balance comes from a little bit of stoicism. My balance now is much more rooted in no emotional state that gets represented in this today's society as, as being very just mellow or uh, soft-spoken. I've been called just no emotional reactions happening, to be honest, just kind of going with the flow to be, to be in, uh, uh, in Zen it's, it's called Satori. It's a, it's an, an emotional flow state there. There is no emotion, but at any point in time, an emotion could be picked up and used. It could be, used as a tool. Just like I like to use depression as a tool, I find depression is maybe broken down into emotions a little bit. So if depression itself is an amalgamation of, of emotions and can there be used as a tool, so can the individual emotions themselves be used as a tool. I use emotions in as tools to interact with the world around me, to have social interactions. People expect me as a massage therapist to be caring or understanding or sympathetic. And they expect certain emotions to do that. I should not be happy that they are hurt. 
That's not the appropriate emotional response. Concern, that would be the appropriate response. Oh, okay, you have an injury. I'm concerned about you. Are you okay? Um, you know, what's what's the injury causing? You know, and then inquisitive. And then, and I'm not saying that like these are all general emotions. There are, you know, a certain list of emotions. But emotions, emotions are base level. And if you put certain ones together in certain degrees of value, you get certain outcomes. Concern as a, as a, as a topic is a little bit of, of sadness, a little bit of, of fear, a little bit of, you know, but not to the extent like I'm scared. I'm concerned. I'm okay. I'm, Oh, I'm a little bit sad that you, you got hurt. That's not cool. That's not fun. I'm a little scared, a little fearful of, you know, did you cause any harm? Are you, are you bleeding? No. Okay, good. Uh, oh, so you're feeling some pain. All right. So I have to use like a mixture of different emotions to come up with this right value to ascertain what it is I need to be doing as a massage therapist for that particular individual. So there are tools that can be used very specifically and when you start to find that they're tools, tools do not control us. We control tools. The human system as a whole is designed to use technology. We have be using technology from the very beginning. And I don't want to take the humanity out of emotions. But I do want it represented that emotions are a tool of humanity. They are technology of humanity. We invented them. We as a, as a collective invented the idea of emotions. Without them, there is no descriptive force. It is simply a lion defending itself or a tiger protecting its young. Those are not emotional states. Those are nerv nervous system states. That's parasympathetic sympathetic. If you attack a tiger's child, Sympathetic response, destroy what is ever, you know, being a threat to my child or my hunting ground or, you know, destroy it, kill it. That's a sympathetic response in their nervous system. There's no emotional response to that. I'm not saying animals don't have emotional responses. We've certainly seen that, you know, a dog will get sad if its owner dies. I've seen that happen. There is though a complexity there that isn't the norm. So humans really invented this, this technology of emotions and there's something to be used, controlled, not to allow to control us. So when you look at your emotions and your emotional states, are you allowing your emotions to control you? Are you allowing the emotions or the emotional states around you to control you? Or are you in control of them? And you're not necessarily supposed to be in control. It is good to feel. It is not good or not homeostasis to constantly feel one way. That's not balance. You cannot constantly be feeling one thing and be in balance. That's why there's 
balance to the emotional structure of um, the nervous system and then byproduct the emotions we express. The human system has to have a mental interaction and the mental interaction can come from emotional states. So if you want to have a better emotional state, you need to have a better emotional relationship. And you have to ask yourself what emotions you're feeling, what states they're putting you in and how they're controlling things that maybe you want more control of. Zen calls that Satori and Satori is a, again, a non-emotional state, but it can lead at any point in time. It's, it's like a primed position to go into any other emotional state. You can go from Satori to anger instantaneously. So Satori is a, a state of preparedness by not being anything. You can be anything by not being anything. That's, that's the preparedness of Satori. Other states that Zen uses, and specifically not just Zen, but like other ways of taking control of emotional states, typically through a meditative practice, might call it looking into the abyss or, you know, staring into the abyss or coming from there. This is a lot of where philosophy, meditation, those types of things, metaphysics in general, are interacting with the mental states that we find ourselves in. Specifically, if we just use meditation as an example, meditation, all meditation is awareness of breath. That's it. I, I don't care. I don't care how much money you want to go spend. I don't care how many people want to yell at me for it. Meditation is awareness of breath, period. Full stop. There's no more to that statement. Meditation is awareness of breath. That is a meditative state. As soon as you are aware of your breathing, you are in a meditative state. What you do from that point on is considered a, it is a meditation. If you are at work and you become aware of your breathing and you are then controlling your breathing, you are meditating through that practice of work. If you are walking in the park and take control of your breathing and become aware of your breathing, you are taking a walking meditation through the park. If you are sitting in Zazen and you take control of your breathing, you are in Zazen meditation. All meditation is awareness of breath. The reason for that goes back to what we were discussing, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous state. The One of the only ways the conscious mind can control the parasympathetic or sympathetic autonomous nervous system is through taking control of your breathing because it is typically being controlled by the autonomous nervous system on the parasympathetic side. It is in a normal breathing pattern. 
when we get flushed or we get angry or, you know, we have some sort of outside interaction, the sympathetic nervous system might take over and start increasing that airflow, start increasing the amount of oxygen we're taking in because we're getting ready to fight something or, or run away from something. So it, it wants control. You can rest control of it by becoming aware of your breathing and thus controlling your breathing and taking control of the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. What this does is change the emotional state you're therein of. You can have a very relaxed emotional state by taking control of your breathing and doing one specific task. And that is to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Hot, called a hot breath. Like you're fogging a mirror. So in through your nose, out through your mouth, like you're fogging a mirror. 10 times will rest control of your breathing from the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system, the autonomous nervous system, give control to you, your conscious current waking state. And at the same time, act upon the parasympathetic side and say, Hey, we're fine. We're just relaxing, just letting out tension. If you do the opposite of a hot breath, a cold breath, blowing, pursing your lips and blowing out, you're trying to blow out a candle, that will weight you more towards the sympathetic nervous system side. 10 times in through the nose, out through the mouth, blowing out a candle, cold breath, will lean towards the sympathetic side, the fight or flight, you know, not rest, digest. That's the hot breath. That's the relaxation side. This is more of the, like, we're getting ready for something. Something's coming. Something's, something's about to happen. I'm either about to go for a jog or I'm about to murder this person who's trying to murder me. Who knows? I'm getting into a fight. Or I'm going to get a yelling match. If you notice the, the way people yell, if they're in an angered state, and the, the, that emotional state of anger, the way you're yelling is closer to that cold breath. It's, it's closer to, the, we don't, we don't yell with our, you know, we might open our mouths real big to project our voices, but yelling as an angered emotional state doesn't allow for a lot of air to escape. It resists that airflow, which is what the purse, uh, the blowing out a candle, the, the cold breath does. And that's why the longer a yelling state goes on, the more tired your body becomes. Because you're you're resisting the letting it all out. You're, you're trying to, but all, at the same time, you're also trying to do that. And eventually your body will rest control of that. And just be like, you're fucking tired. Stop. This is not, this is not a normal state to be in. Stop it. Something, you know, your adrenals are going crazy. Cortisol levels are going through the roof all sorts of bad shit's happening. And that's where really the body wants to be in control of what you're doing. That's what your entire endocrine system's for, your hormones, is to be in control because it doesn't think we're smart enough to be. And to be honest, we're probably not. It takes a long time of practice and meditation to just be able to like get into a very relaxed state. People think if you just kind of like you know, you can just start meditating and, and it just, you know, it clicks. It doesn't. I'm here to tell you it doesn't. And anyone who tells you it does is fucking full of shit. It's all bullshit. 
or that you have to like be in a quiet room and play this music and do these chants. No, those are methods of meditation. They are not meditation themselves. Meditation is awareness of breath and stop full period done. No more to the conversation. There are plenty of practices of meditation. There's plenty of ways to meditate and one might fit you better than another, but meditation is all just awareness of breath. So the meditation I'm going to teach you right now is very simple. It's a practice. It is not meditation as meditation is a whole. It is a practice of meditation. And that is known as the hot breath and cold breath in through the nose and out through the mouth, specifically the in through the nose and out through the mouth. That's, that's an important part of this. I'll get into meditation at another time in more detail, but a good way to take control of the situation, specifically your emotional state, and, uh, and thus to use it as a, a method, a tool, a practice of becoming aware of your emotional states is to take 10 breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth in one of two ways. A hot breath, like you're fogging a mirror, or a cold breath, like you're trying to blow out a candle. The hot breath will bring you into a more relaxed state, a more a wide-eyed peripheral vision, become prepared, look at what's going on around me, chill, rest, digest, parasympathetic system. Or the cold breath, a focused, narrower field of vision, more getting ready, preparing for a, a movement, a, a reaction, a quicker force, a sympathetic state. That's a simple meditation practice you can try, you can use to become more aware of the, of the emotional state you're there in. I highly recommend doing this at a red light, at a traffic light, because you have a little time and you're, it doesn't, doesn't take away awareness. You're still aware of what's going on around you, but it gives you an idea of like, wait a minute, hold on, take a step back. Remember when I was talking about, take a step back and figure out what emotional state we're in. Because once you do that, you can then look at the emotional states you're in, the emotional states the people around you are in, the emotional state the world might be in. We're in an emotional state of chaotic turmoil right now as I am recording this podcast. And it is constant and rampant everywhere. It's just an outside pressure pushing in on the individual of this anxiety-ridden emotional state. And to be honest, it's been that way almost my entire life. Every outside influence that I've ever experienced is a constant emotional state pushing in, trying to implode the individual. It's time we push out a little bit and we give ourselves a little bit more of that quote unquote bubble to work in. And you do that by first being aware of the emotional state you're in. Are you pissed off? Are you mad? Are you angry? Well, that's going to be the reaction you get back if that's how you're going to act. If that's the emotional state you're in, there's going to be a reciprocated idea, a reciprocated action. So you can expect some sort of response from your angered state. Maybe that's what you're seeking out. Who knows? I don't know. But there's going to be a response based on your emotional state. Vice versa to that, if the crowd around you is angry, you're going to have a reciprocated emotional response to that. Stoicism as an idea 
is the representation of removing oneself from all emotional states and using logic and reason to act upon. Marcus Aurelius, who wrote Meditations, which is where we get a lot of our Stoicism from, not just the Stoics, there are a group of Stoics, but he was a emperor of a great nation ruling on his own with enemies on all sides, enemies in his court, enemies at his borders. They called him the philosopher king. He wrote meditations as a manual to himself on how to better be who he wanted to be. He wrote it privately and kept it secret. It was his own personal diary. And it was a reflection of his emotional states throughout his life in almost every interaction he ever had. He writes about his relationship with his father, with his mother, with the siblings. He writes about his emotional state with lovers and other individuals of state and of the political realm he was in, of his enemies. Of He writes of the emotional states he was in. His conclusion is that any time he had an emotional reaction that was not in his control, he made a mistake. That was when things did not go the way he wanted them to go. And by removing himself from the emotional states that he was so, as a younger youth, prone to do, as he writes, he thus then became a better ruler in his later years by removing the emotional reactions and looking at things through logic and reason, he better served the people and better served himself. He had introspection. He had reflection. He had a way of looking at a situation from different perspectives. He took in respect, uh, uh, different perspectives of his ruling parties of his advisors and was able to root out those who were to do him harm and those who had his best interests in mind. That's what made him a successful ruler and his people generally liked him and his court generally liked him. Most Stoics from the school of Stoicism have the same opinion. And that is to remove oneself from the emotional reactions, not only from themselves and others, but as the world in a whole and to come at things from logic and reason to understand that emotions are reactions and they are not a homeostasis. They are not a neutral point. They are the product of the situation. They are a product of one's situation. My product that I presented to the world in my emotional states when I was a child, adolescent, in that period of time in my life, was a product of a broken home, of a hatred for myself, of a whirlwind of confusion and lack of information, a loneliness, a scared, fearful, discomfort 
and it projected itself outward in anger, in confused anger that served no one and nothing, or in deep, uncontrollable, unworkable sadness. That was the product of my environment, and that is what I produced to the world. And mind you, I read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, at least started reading, before I was 14 years old. And it took me many years after that, I believe I was 10 or 12. It might have even been younger, might seven or eight, like when it started reading, but like didn't quite understand it. But that doesn't really matter. I was young when I, I first got introduced to Stoicism. And without it, I probably would be a much different person, obviously. But without it, I would say there's a highly or likely chance that I would be dead by now. I would have, com I would have gone through with committing suicide. I would, I would have done that. And I'm not saying everyone needs to be a stoic. That's not true. There are many other schools of thought out there that fit people differently. It's like meditative practice. Not every meditative practice works for everyone. Teaching someone transcendental doesn't always work. They don't like the relationship they have with it or the philosophy there it comes from. That is why there are schools and systems of meditation. There are schools and systems of, of thought, of philosophy, of ethics and morals. But the reality is you have to create your own. And to do that, you need to understand the very beginning or very core root piece of what those things are. For meditation, I can tell you that core piece to all meditation is meditation is awareness of breath. That's it. Again, period. End stop. There's no more to that discussion. Meditation is awareness of breath. That is the core principle, the core idea of meditation. And you can build umpteen schools from it. And they have. And people, you know, are to this day still creating new schools of meditation. The core pieces to emotions, I don't think I can tell you what that is, to be honest. It is an open question. Is it a response to the endocrine system, to the nervous system, to some one of the human body systems trying to have some control over the situation? Is it a response to the planetary alignments, the moon, the solar radiation, the EMF radiation, or all the radiations around us? Is it a response to the bioelectrical fields of the individuals around us who are presenting their own emotional states? Well, if I look at it closely, I find emotions are responses. I don't know if that's the core. This is why I can't tell you if this is the absolute core to emotions, but at some principle level, emotions are responses. They are in response thereof. 
which means they can be controlled. And there will be a strong argument that you should to, to seek balance in emotions is to control them to a degree, not to stifle them, not to do what I did later as, you know, a younger youth, specifically in my twenties of just like shoving them down and never experiencing them, bottling things up and those types of things. No, that might not be the correct answer because that's not really in balance, but there may be a necessity for control because your body's already trying to do that. It already understands intrinsically, like it needs to control these responses. Can't just produce norepinephrine indefinitely. You'll die. Can't flood the body with that much adrenaline and expect it to live. Not going to happen. It will die. So eventually it's going to shut off that process and have an opposite reaction. The body already knows that, okay, these, these responses need to be controlled. So as a, as a principal idea, maybe not exactly the exact core of emotions, but the principal idea is, is to control the responses to control the reactions. One of the schools of thought to do that is stoicism. There are others, many, 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 many others, all sorts of different schools of thought out there. Academia as a whole, philosophy as a whole, breaking it down into individual pieces, the medical world, they have their own schools of thought and how to control the emotional responses. But the core idea to those is control over one's actions. A school of thinking to its core is understanding of one's reactions. And by that definition would be considered self-awareness. So if we look at the schools of thought and the schools of philosophy, these are schools of self-awareness. Why? And we all know how much I hate the why question, but here it is. Why have we let them go? Why have we put them aside? Why have we thrown them to the curb? What happened to the, the, the holding up of intelligent conversation based on control of one's own being? What happened to that? It used to be the first thing you were taught. All of the Greek schools of thinking all of them, the Socratic method, all of the Greek schools, all of them, Socratic. I, I, won't, I'm not, I should list all of them off, but I, I don't know them well enough off the top of my head to list them all off. But all of these Greek schools of thinking and then other cultural schools of thinking, what, what, what happened? What, where did, what caused that to no longer be an effective way of starting schooling. You had to, that was part of going to Socrates and learning the Socrates, the Socratic method was this start with control over one's own self with control over one's thinking. So I, I'm expressing here the idea that being aware of one's emotions might be maybe one of the best starting points for creating some sort of self-awareness and also a, con a better control over one's mental health. 
is to be aware of the emotional states, the responses, the reactive responses that we're having daily, monthly, yearly, like, and then understanding inside of that, that you don't necessarily fully control them. There is a broad spectrum out there of things interacting with you at a cosmic level that affect the responses you're having. So it's okay to not necessarily be in control of them. And when you're not in control of something, you can still be aware thereof. You may not be in control of the sun hurtling through space at a frightening speed and the earth revolving around its, its, its center on its axis. You might not be in control of those things, but being aware of them can give you a better idea of what's going on. And then maybe you can, you can wrench some, some control out of that. So I've gone over multiple different things here. The core of this conversation is to be aware of your emotions. What emotions do you regularly express? What emotions don't you like? What emotions do you just just hate? Just generally just hate them. Like, I, I don't like being angry. I really don't like being angry. I don't like it. It's just, it's pointless to me. I don't have time for that. It's not necessary. A little heated, a little, you know, a little, oh, hmm, that rubs me the wrong way. I'm okay with that. That, you know, gives you a little motivation. But like actual pure angry. Now I save that for like, really, like if it's ever necessary, I save it for that point in time. I don't, I don't do angry very often. Sad? Eh, I could do without sad. Definitely could do without sad. So like, what emotional states do you like being in? Understanding that you can't just be happy all the time. That's not possible because you can't, you can't be happy if you've never been sad. They are a complementary balance. You, you don't know jubilation and hysterical crying due to happiness if you've never felt, you know, deep disheveling sadness that has caused you tears as well. So what emotions do you find yourself feeling regularly? What emotions would you like to feel more often? That could include sadness. I'm not saying you can't just feel emotions if you don't want to feel them. What emotions are you using? What would you like to use more of? What is your natural response? What is your natural emotional state to different things? How do the emotions around you affect you overall? Are you an empath? Are you are you an empathetic person? Can you not control that? If you if I put you in a room full of people who are, you know, feeling loss or feeling sadness or something like thing, do you do you emulate them? Are you an empath in that way? Do you do you take control like take on that on yourself? Are you aware you do that? That's another way you can look at these emotions as, as another piece. Are you a sympathetic person? Do you, do you seek out people of certain emotional states to be sympathetic thereof? I don't often get to a happy, like, ooh, yay state. Unless, like, I'm, I let myself be caught up into a crowd of people, who, not even a crowd, a group of people that I might be around that are doing that. Like, 
it would take two or three other people being very like into something like for me to feel that kind of like, Oh, yay. I don't generally get that. It takes me being sympathetic thereof, not empathetic, sympathetic of what they're feeling to get into that state. Empathy, I do constantly. I'm constantly empathetic. I don't let it affect me as much as when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, constantly, if you put me around someone sad, I became sad. If, if you, I just, I took, if, like, whatever their emotional state was became my emotional state. Not a, I wasn't bouncing my emotional state off of theirs. That's kind of the difference between empathetic and sympathetic. But what is you? what is your reaction to these situations? What, as we talked about with, the language you surround yourself with, what is the emotional states you're surrounded with? How does that affect you? These are the conversations you can have with yourself or others that I'm bringing up here to put emotions at a, a, a more higher state of awareness. And you can use that as a jumping off point if you haven't picked another one to maybe interact with your self-awareness a little bit more. Emotions are an important topic and an important subject, I think, and feel to use in this world of self-awareness and also mental health. The taking the step back and the looking at the emotional state you're in may give you a better understanding of your depression. Again, I can't understand your depression. I can't do it. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know how you feel. I never will. Yet I think I can give you the tool of looking at what emotional state you might be in when you're in that deep of depression or you're in that anxiety attack to give you that little piece of control that might let you reel it in. Just bring it back to where you want it. Again, I'm not saying you have to be a happy-go-lucky person. I'm certainly not. No fucking way am I a happy-go-lucky person. That's not a thing. Not in my world. But I do have a fairly good control over my emotional states, which allows me to arrest control of those situations that may spiral out of control if I let them. Instead, I'm, I'm aware of them and I can control them. So I'm saying, here are some tools maybe you can use. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening as always. Come join us in some more conversations. Um, next up, we're going to get a little bit deeper into how how all of these things lead up into um, different pieces, different, you know, how we can start conjoining the different ideas of like the languages are surrounded with, with our belief structures, with the emotional states we get ourselves into and how that builds our reality. And that's, that's what's coming up on the next episode is we're going to talk about how all of these different things we've discussed so far and some other things outside of that build a reality that we live in and how that reality really changes everything around us. So come join me for that. And again, thank you for, uh, thank you for listening. Be safe and take care. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome, and just remember to breathe.